that uh, it would come true. I suppose the moral is that we should watch what we say because words and implications can hurt. Joseph was young and he had not yet learned that to keep peace in the family and society at large, there are some things we should say quietly or keep to ourselves. Or perhaps he was only 17 and innocently seeking understanding and as sometimes happens in life, he got instead rebuke and hostility. This marvelous story of Joseph goes all the way from chapter 37 to 50 of Genesis. That's truly a story equal in drama and interest to anything yesterday or today. Incidentally, the composer who gave us the musical text wrote one of his first works around the story of Joseph and his multicolored coat. And there is a novel by one of my favorite authors, Thomas Mann, in German, called Joseph and His Brothers. It's nice to become reacquainted with these biblical stories as we have been in the last ten years or so since the revision. And uh, today's story tells Joseph how Joseph wound up in Egypt. That, that's the main plot. Unlike some parts of the Bible that tell independent stories one after another, this is a long story that goes smoothly from scene to scene like a novelette and holds together very skillfully. I would like to treat today's story as lessons in living rather than approach the main purpose of Genesis, which is to show the place of Jacob's family in the life of God's plan. That is to bring God's people out of Egypt into a new land. The story of Joseph aims to show us how the Hebrews found themselves in Egypt in the first place. For our day-to-day -day living, apart from the religious story of the patriarchs and matriarchs and what theologians call the history of salvation, we could, for example, find instruction in the actions of Reuben and Judah, who each in his own way and in his own time said what they needed to say to save people, to save Joseph from death and peace. Many times in a group, people will sit mute, too timid to say what needs to be said and do what needs to be done until one brave soul does speak up. 
Reuben and Judah were two brave souls who stood up to eight brothers and saved Joseph from death. For where there is life, there is hope. They could not save him from his difficult destiny, but Joseph did survive to face further trials. More than once I have seen been on the tee when an adult is treating a child in a cruel and hurtful way. And one passenger will speak up and protest while everyone else averts their gaze on to be met with anger. Another time I was on a train when a drunk was harassing a young woman. When we came to the next station, one muscular young man eased the offender gracefully out of the train, whereon a policewoman appeared out of nowhere. Everyone in the car applauded the hero, but until then, all had been in a silent cocoon. Sometimes God sends us people who bravely speak up in a situation that needs correcting on behalf of those who cannot or will not or dare not. But the main lesson I draw from today's story has to do with the Ten Commandments. The Tenth Commandment. I'm sure you're all familiar with it. Because of the envy of his brothers, Joseph lost his family and wound up in jail in Egypt. He became famous there, yes, but only after much persecution. And this is the message of the Gospel and the story of Joseph as a whole. We may not know God's plan, but God's providence means to bring good out of evil. There is another gospel out there that paints itself as Christian, particularly popular on the airwaves of this country. The gospel of prosperity. The gospel that says that if you do such and such, or believe such and such, you will prosper materially, truly. And while this gospel is not the one that Jesus lived and Paul taught, we have to admit there are strange strains of it in the Bible. And there are lessons to be learned in it, aside from the fact that sometimes those preachers get rich by doing good or get disgraced by person's damage. And so, I look to the Tenth Commandment, which in its simple form is only four words long. Thou shalt not covet. Sometimes, we interpret, over-interpret the commandments to the point that our sins would make us so depressed 
that we would not get out of bed in the morning. But on the other hand, we sometimes do not interpret that finely and precisely enough. Covet is a word that no one uses in everyday speech, even though it's only two syllables long. Covet is not the same as envy. And we have to agree that our society is built on envy. If we don't buy, we don't produce jobs, and our GDP, well, our group, you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't grow. We are built on envy because we often want to keep up with the Joneses, as they used to say when I was a teenager. Joseph's brothers coveted the favor he received from his father. They wanted that coat Joseph wore, uh, which is why they used that. They tore it and dipped it in an animal's blood. And they tried to convince Jacob that a wild beast had devoured his beloved son Joseph. They envied Joseph because they could not have Jacob's particular favor toward Joseph. At this point in the story, Joseph was the baby in the family. And that was something the older brothers could never be anymore. Besides that, Joseph's mother was Rachel. And this was the one woman out of four David children that Jacob loved most of all. Now, what could they have done in their envy besides coveting what they could not have? Perhaps they could have tried to win their father's love in other ways. Maybe even by acting as good older brothers to the younger Joseph. In that way, they could have prospered in favor with their father. When I read history, I wonder sometimes why some places prosper and others are weak. I think about our country, where prosperity has spawned even a religion of prosperity. I know we have excellent geography and have profited in the past by subjugating other peoples. But there is more to it than that, and an insight came to me from a study I read for what it may be worth. Someone studied game shows in some foreign country and reported that the audience would boo when people won, when they won, because they thought it was not fair. 
people begrudge what other people have, in some cases, to the point of taking what they have by force, or at least hating them inwardly or outwardly for it. Whether this be a place, a company, a church, a nation, such a place can never prosper. So that is where the brothers went wrong. Their coveting led them almost to murder their own king, in which case they would have killed their own souls. And what they did was bad enough. That is why the commandments were given, because they are not only God's will, but because they are good for us, here and hereafter, for body and soul. When our human nature causes us to envy, and we do not have control over our emotions, that does not mean that we have to yield further to covetousness. Because covetousness can never do any good. Joseph's brothers could never have his coat because it was sewn to fit only him. We cannot have another spouse or another's particular house or another's anything so long as it belongs to them because it is theirs. Uh, we do not have to wallow in envy. We can prosper in the way God provides and attain that sufficient success upon earth, which is uh, in a prayer that I haven't heard in a very long time. And we can be happy for the other person, even if we have to make ourselves happy. And then we can go over, we can go after our own personal goals. Joseph's brothers were what we now call bullies. The kind of person who will punch you in the gut when you are not looking because they feel they do not have your gifts, maybe. But everyone has their own gifts. The Tenth Commandment does not keep us from envying, and it doesn't keep us from being prosperous. It does not mean that we have to be a bad good people with no ambition. Joseph's brothers sinned because they coveted. They wanted what was not theirs to have instead of seeking where they might find favor with God and man. Which is a story as old 
most of which I was able to repeat this morning at 8 o'clock, thanks be to God. The priest would recite the Ten Commandments of the Decalogue, we call them at that time. And I close with what was the people's response to the Ten and Last Commandment. Lord, have mercy upon us, and write all these thy laws in our hearts, we beseech thee.
questions. One, you only have three more weeks to try to pick up the wire. And the other announcement I'd like to make is Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, the 15th of August, at 4 o'clock, we're having our third and final tea time recital for the summer. Um, the uh, performers in the recital will be Harriet Bridges, who I will mention is the great-granddaughter of the poet of today's anthem, uh, Robert Seymour Bridges, if you know the poet. And uh, Sheila Beers, the our recorder player. So they will be giving recital including some works by Handel and Monteverdi and Thomas Arne uh, in, a, in a wonderful assortment of pieces this Tuesday at 4 o'clock in the air-conditioned parachute.
In the name of this proclamation, I send you forth, bearing his holy gifts, that those who have been brought may share with us in the communion of Christ our Gentile. of God passes all of us standing in your hearts and minds in the knowledge of our God and in the Son of Jesus Christ and the blessings of God Almighty. 